Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. So on today's episode, we're going back. We're going back three years to one of the early, early guests of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and that is Dr. Debbie Gilboa. Now, the way I met Debbie was three years ago, my oldest daughter was a senior in high school. She got accepted to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And so I reached out on Twitter and said, I need to meet some cool entrepreneurs in Pittsburgh. I want to interview them for the show But the real reason I wanted to do that is I wanted to make some friends in Pittsburgh because I knew I'd be going to Pittsburgh once or twice a year, and I wanted to know some people there. And I got connected with a few people, but one of them stood out. She did the show, and we had a lot in common, and over the years, we've become really good friends. In fact, my daughter babysat for her kids for a couple of years when she first got up to Pittsburgh, and uh, so I love the way the world works. There's a little serendipity of friendships that have come out of my show, and Debbie is probably one of the top ones from that. Now little background on her. She went to school to study drama and then got a job working for Second City TV. And we talked about this on the episode she was on three years ago. And one day she looked around and said, huh, how come I didn't go to medical school? And so in her late 20s, she took the exams you have to take to get into medical school. She became a medical doctor. And then along the way, after having a private practice and being a medical doctor, she started to speak and to become an expert on parenting. And now she has gone on to appear on the TV show, The Doctors. She's been a regular contributor on the Today Show, talking to Hoda about parenting issues and things like that. And over the last three years, it's just been amazing to see her business and her brand expand. And so I had to bring her back to the show. So Dr. Debbie Gilboa, welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I'm so glad to be here again, Tom. Thanks for the invite. Oh, no problem. So, you know, I kind of did like the overview, but but why don't you share with everybody who you are and what you're doing now in regards to sort of that background? Absolutely. So one of the things that happened to me in this journey of being an entrepreneur is that people who are trying to be supportive in my life, but don't really get it, right? I mean, I created this business, but but the business is me. I'm a personality brand. I have a particular point of view and some strategies to share and a goal. And they will say things to me like, well, why are you doing this? Or my dad's favorite question, which is, where do you see this all in three or five years? And at the beginning of my journey, those first few years before I spoke to you the first time, I kept trying to answer what boxes I would check in the next few years. You know, would I have a radio show, which is now, of course, podcasting? Would I, you know, what would I do? And then I realized a couple of years ago that the best thing to do is to answer what I want to change about the world around me in the next three to five years. What I'm trying to do is change the conversation that we have in the United States about what kids and teenagers are capable of doing for themselves and where they need our support. And so to that end, in the last three years, I've done a TED Talk. I've... um, started working at the national level in media, and I have expanded into other industries for speaking because now that I know clearly what my goal is, I have an easier funnel to pass the question of, should I focus on this or that? Is this opportunity the right one for me? I just have to pass it through 
will it help me change the conversation about parenting or won't it? So are you still practicing medicine? I do. Um, I'm, a I'm a clinical associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. So I teach every week and I practice. I see patients in the federally qualified health center where I've been working for 12 years. I see 25% time. I don't know how you do that all because you also have, what is it, one kid or, oh no, you have four kids. I do. I have four kids. Yes. So how do you, how do you, my credibility as well as my Google calendar? Yeah. I would imagine that uh, as a parenting expert, if you had no kids, nobody would listen to you when you have four kids. They're like, oh my God, she must be crazy. But, but you do that with sort of all this other stuff going on. You're teaching as a professor, you're working 25% time seeing patients. How do you, how do you manage all of that and still build this national brand? My house is a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do it. I do it in a couple of ways. One is I get asked every once in a while, especially for women's events, to speak about balance. How do you make it all work? And one of the most brilliant things that someone said to me about balance was back when I was in med school, and they said, "You can absolutely live a balanced life over the course of a season, but not any one day. Every day, your work, your attention, your time is going to focus is going to weigh more heavily in one area of your life than another. And if you beat yourself up about what you didn't." focus on that day every night, you're going to feel like you are not accomplishing your goals and that you're kind of sucking at life every night. But if you want to look back over the course of a month or a season, you know, like this spring, you can then see how, whether or not you feel like you're doing a pretty good job giving each kid some attention, giving this kind of work, this attention, giving students this attention. And so I try to take, I try to take that sort of clouds or treetop view and not the down in the weeds view of am I accomplishing each of these areas the best I can. But this is something that because the age of your kids, you know, are like like nine to sixteen or somewhere in the in in that range in that range. That's gauge. it. Yep. And mm-hmm. and the thing is, is that th- that's a time when they're really busy. I mean, yeah, the sixteen year old maybe can drive, but the rest of them still need to be shuttled around. You can't necessarily leave them for long periods of time without somebody kind of being in charge. And I think that impacts a lot of entrepreneurs. So, how do you deal with sort of the the day to day running of your of your parenting while you're essentially doing so, three different businesses? Right. So, a couple of things, and one is that I am really lucky. I live in a small urban center. So it's not only my eldest who can get themselves places. My kids are involved in very few activities that they can't walk, ride their bike, or take a city bus to get there and get back. And as I was raised by New York City parents, my kids, even my nine-year-old, can successfully get on the city bus, pay the fare, and go where he's going, or ride his bike to the community center, lock it up outside, go inside, participate in swim team, shower, go back out to his bike, and ride it home. So I don't, because of where I live and because of the way I'm raising my kids, I don't have nearly as much shuttling around as a lot of parents end up needing to do. Well, and then the the other thing is, is that, and this is what your TED Talk was about, and one of the things that I've seen you talk about on the national national media that you've been on and stuff like that is your expectations of your kids have always been – that they can pull this stuff off. They can contribute. Let's go back. I think we might have talked about this three years ago, but you know, when your kids turn like, I forget the number, but something like six, they take on a responsibility. I think that that's awesome. Can you tell people about, about what that sort of rule in the household yeah. has been? So it's age seven. And because my, um, my kids, their dad is in the Air Force. And so one of the things that as a military kid, you really want to be able to do is be in constant touch with your deployed parent. 
And so when you turn seven in our house, you get your own email, which so might not sound as exciting to other kids, but for military kids, this was a really big deal. They don't have to wait for me to be free for them to email or read their emails from their dad. And at the same time as getting that big privilege, they also get a big responsibility, which is doing the laundry for the family. And, you know, you mentioned that my kids are now nine to 16. I can tell you my youngest just aged out of doing the laundry and all of his brothers wanted to know who was going to do their laundry from then on. And I looked at them and I said, congratulations, you are. Everybody is now just responsible. We have two washers and dryers because I picked up one set cheap on Craigslist. And they're now just responsible for if they're running out of school uniforms, they should probably know that they need to run downstairs and do their laundry. And it's been almost a year of that. And it's going great. So, so I think that one of the things that I'm really lucky about, this is the other thing I was going to say to answer your question, because my work is focused on parenting, all of these different struggles and questions and fails and wins feed into my business. And with my kids' permission, I can talk to parents about what's happening while I'm navigating this. So it really all, it all, really all builds on itself. It's interesting you bring up with your kids' permission. Recently, I had somebody question, because when I, I speak, uh, one of the stories I tell is about my, I talk about both kids, but I one of the stories that I've kind of am known for, sort of my signature story when I talk about why it's important to connect with people and, and to help people in their time of need is I tell the story about how we found the doctor that operated on my daughter, Kate, who's now 16, but when she was six months old, she had a condition where her entire skull was becoming uh deformed. It was it was sort of an elephant man-like deformity that was growing, and she had to have the cap of her skull removed and then have some therapy to get it to all grow back. And I tell the story about how we found that doctor. We, we ended up connecting with one of the top pediatric neurosurgeons in the country who did the surgery and then monitored her for the next 12 years. And it was through my network. It was through connections that we had. It was the first, he was the first, the doctor was the first cousin of somebody who I knew. And I, and I tell that story of why it's important to be engaged with people. And it's a powerful story and it, it makes the message work really well. But I've had a couple people recently, now that Kate's a high school student, question me that how does Kate feel about you telling her story as if I'm some horrible parent because I'm telling the story of Kate's <laughs> surgery. And I say, well, you know the pictures that I've used? Kate picks those out every six months. She updates the photo because she wants to make sure she looks like herself and has the you know most beautiful photograph of herself or the one that shows the most attitude or whatever it is she wants. She picks the pictures that I use in my speeches. And I'm like, she's, she's quite aware of it. And she travels with me sometimes when I speak and people come up and talk to her and she shows them their scar and you know, it's not, it's not a problem. And I think the reason it's not a problem is we've just always done it. And I've always, she's always been part of it. And I think that the way you're handling it is really beautiful. And I don't think that people are wrong to wonder, maybe questioning you is is a bridge too far, but I don't think people are wrong to wonder if we are getting consent from our kids when we post about them or talk about them from the stage, which I do. I feel very lucky because like you, I have all single gender kids. And so I can say one of my sons, and they all have some plausible deniability, right? It could be any of them. Uh, but I do have, I do absolutely make a point of getting their consent because I want them to expect that people won't use their body or their name or their words or their experiences without their consent, nor will they do that to someone else. Mm. And it's all wrapped up in the conversations that we have to be having with our kids about, uh, you know, about intimacy, but also about social media and online life. 
Yeah, no, that's that's really smart. So I want to shift gears here really quick to one thing because I quote you a lot. I don't even know if you know this, but I I quote you often, and I don't know if this came up in the first interview that we did three years ago or just through the different times we've gone out and had coffee when I've been in Pittsburgh. But you have a great saying, and I often quote it. I give you credit, and that is that <laughs> we make a mistake in the way we raise our kids in our society because especially when they're young, like your nine year old or your ten year olds, you know, age, we ask them. What do you want to be when you grow up? And that puts a lot of pressure on kids. I have a high school student who is looking to go to college, and she feels a lot of pressure around picking the right major, yeah. picking the right school. And I keep going back to you as the example because Kate has met you, and and uh, you know her sister has been close with your family. I use I use you as an example, and I remind her of what you say. And I quote sometimes if it comes up on a podcast interview that you say we shouldn't be asking kids what do you want to be when you grow up. We should be asking kids what do you want to do. First, and I love that, and it yeah. se- and it seems to me to be like you're the perfect example of that because who majors in drama and then becomes a medical doctor and then becomes a national <laughs> personality? Uh, well, Debbie Gaboa does, and we know that people are having somewhere between two and seven careers now. And one of the people who inspired me to consider how I word that when I talk to teenagers in, the, in my office, because there's some research that shows that if I ask a teenager in my office what their after high school plans are, they are more likely to have to then make after high school plans. They're more likely to have a career rather than an entry level job 10 years down the road. So it's an important conversation to have. But I, too, see tons of anxious, anxious high schoolers who've been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up and feel like? How could I possibly know? And they're right. We know now that it's not work in one industry at one company for 50 years, get your gold watch at your retirement party, and then go sit in your backyard. That people are changing what they do and who they work for and how they approach their work life. Time and time again, we're pivoting. And that's good for people. But it also is an unreasonable expectation that a 16-year-old will be able to picture being 35, let alone know how they would like to be making their income at that point. Or, or, uh, or, 50, me to that. or 52. Right. I mean, who, who would have or ever thought I would have been 52? Or 70. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I do that in my so, career. I do that in my career because I, I am 52, and I look around at people who are professional speakers. And while there are some uh, who go on and as long as they want, I mean, Zig Ziglar spoke until he was 90-something. However, usually those are people who have some level of fame. And so I see this business after about 60 or 65 becomes very hard for a lot of people because we live in a young person's culture, and a lot of people aren't booking people who are older. And so I look 10 years down the line and say, I don't want to retire. And so I already think about what happens when this gets harder for me to get booked. You know, what is my next step? Do I go run an association? Do I start a speaker's bureau? I'm already thinking about, you know, while I love what I do and would love to do it forever, if for some reason it doesn't continue to line up in that path, it's okay if I go do something else when I'm 60. And it's better for you in terms of keeping you energized. And, you know, I think another thing to really consider is, is something that I heard from the educational director at Google. The man was in his early 50s and he said, I have the best job in the universe. I'm the director of education at Google. And he said, but when I was in high school, Google didn't exist. So I could <laughs> not have known or told the truth about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And a lot of the things that our kids will eventually do or have on their virtual business card don't exist yet. Yeah. And they know that. So we have to jump, get with the program and say, so, and, and I think another way to ask that question of people Kate's age of high schoolers is to say, what problem do you want to solve first? Mm. 
That's a good one. That, that, and, that's very good. And, and if you say, what problem do you want to solve? And then they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, and maybe it's, maybe it's world peace, but maybe it's, I think there's never been a, fl- a flute concerto that's been played the way it ought to be. But then you say, that's cool. Like I, I would talk to a young woman at, um, when I gave my TED talk, she was also giving a TED talk that day, but she was, she was a college age woman who was really struggling because her parents wanted one thing of her career path and she wanted something different. And I said, what's the problem you want to solve? And she said, I really want to help rural communities in India because that's where my grandparents still live. And I've spent my summers there and it really affects me. And I said, okay, what of your skills or your interests do you want to bring to bear on that problem? And she said, well, my parents want me to go to medical school and help those communities medically, but I want to use my photography to help those people. Hmm. And I was like, okay, so now you have a much more specific question to answer, which is, is that an either or? Or is that a both? Is that an and? Mm. That's awesome. That that is very awesome. So I know that through the course of of building this this brand that you've done over six or seven years, I know that there have been ups and downs uh, in in doing that. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about sort of the journey from when you said, "Hey, I I want to speak on this. I want to become this expert on parenting. I want to be this voice." And the ups and downs that have happened along the way. And then I have a couple more questions about like, so how do you take a brand national? How do you go from Pittsburgh radio and Pittsburgh TV to the Today Show? But what has been the, what has been the real journey behind the last six or seven years? So the thing that I started by saying, oh boy, I guess I should write a book. And I say that with exactly as much enthusiasm as I really had for it because I don't enjoy <laughs> writing books. Uh, kudos to those who do. So I, I started off saying, okay, I don't even know how you get a book published. And I think you and I talked about this a little bit three years ago. But one of the things I realized is I needed a website and I needed to grow my profile or a publisher would never look at a book. Now, publishing has changed entirely and you don't need a publisher anymore. But I'm glad my journey took this direction because what I do love to do is speak to large groups of people. And I will credit my theater background with making me incredibly comfortable in front of a crowd. And I also, because of all the time I spent at second city really believes that we learn best when we're laughing. I have no problem with getting a you know room of 2,000 people to laugh at me. That's easy. And it's, um, it's enjoyable to me because I, I enjoy my fails as much as my wins sometimes, especially if I can pull something out of it that'll make it easier next time. So here I am speaking locally, applying to conferences, and I have slowly, slowly over the last six years, finally adapted four rules. I won't take a speaking gig unless it meets one of four criteria. And that took me a long time to come to, but it matters because at the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey, a lot of people offer you opportunities that benefit them a lot more than you. And what they tell you, you know, Tom, what do they tell you? Oh, it's going to give you a big advantage. It's going to give you exposure. That's it. And you know what so, I say? I had someone in, Wait, I got to tell you, I you tell people, yeah, people die of exposure. <laughs> yeah, right. You can totally die of exposure. So, and you can, because you are giving everything just as much energy, just as much time. There's got to be something you get back. Now, what you could get back was, we're going to have a photographer in the audience and get some great pictures of you speaking, or we'll do some video. You can put that on YouTube and use that to get more gigs, or we'll put a decision maker in that audience from this other company in our community who might hire you to speak. Like it does not have to be a paycheck. So for me, it has to either be um, a paycheck of what, what I call what I learned through a business podcast to call my happy price. And a happy price is not filled with zeros. A happy price is the price at which if you hired me to speak and you pay me my happy price, 
That means if your buddy who has an event somewhere else asks you what you paid me, I would be happy for you to tell him. <laughs> oh, I like that. that. That's an awesome piece of advice. Every entrepreneur needs to back up this podcast and listen to that because there are times we go below the happy price and we don't want anybody. It's unhappy price. Right. You know, and it's like worth it for some reason, but you wish you could like attach your disclaimer to that price. <laughs> and, and that's not your happy price. So you got to know the number at which you would be very happy for a referral to know what you were paid for that gig. And so it's got to either be my happy price or it's got to be, it's got to put decision makers, plural, in the room that could bring, that could afford to bring me in to pay me my happy price to speak for their event. Or it's got to be an opportunity that, that really impresses people like doing a TED talk or speaking at, I don't know, Harvard or whatever. So it's got to be something that looks good on your CV or it's got to take me and someone in my family someplace really cool. Someplace that for whatever reason we want to go. Now that could be, to St. Louis to visit family, or that could be like the time I got invited to Cancun to speak and they couldn't pay me very much, but I could bring my whole family and we could stay for free. Right. So like there are reasons and reasons. And that last one I like, because I like to several times a year show my kids that they get some direct benefit from my work as well as me supporting our family. Did you bring your, when you appeared on the doctors, did you bring your kids? Did I remember seeing pictures of them like on the lot? One time, yeah, the first time, the first time, the second time I was a guest on the show, they wanted me to talk about um, just in general, some, some parenting hacks and tips for getting kids to be more responsible. And when I was talking to the producer and doing what's called a pre-interview with the producer about what would I say when they asked me certain questions, because producers do not like surprises <laughs> um, and everybody does this. And uh, so I said, well, you know, I do this with my kids and that with my kids. And she was like, wow. And most producers, most segment producers are in their mid-20s. So they usually don't have kids of their own. They're often thinking about parenting in terms of their own parents and how they've been raised, not how they might do it with someone else. And, uh, and she called me back and said, could I talk to one of your kids? <laughs> and, and this has happened to me before. I've had, even here in Pittsburgh, I was interviewed for the local paper. And they called me up after the hour-long interview and said, we'd like to do a photo shoot at your house. And I said, I checked in with my kids. They said it was fine. So they came over a couple of days later and the reporter showed up with the photographer, which I thought was weird. And, but you know, we did the hour and a half long photo shoot of just the kids coming in from school and doing their chores and doing their homework and hanging out, whatever. And she pulls me aside at the reporter at the end of the photo shoot. She said, I have to tell you that I pitched this story to my editor as an expose of like, here's what a parenting expert says, but here is what they actually do. And she said, and I have to call her because you actually do what you said you did. And I didn't believe it when I met you. So I let this producer talk to my kids with their permission. And then she emails me and says, if we paid, would you bring them and have them be on the show too? Because we think it'll it, like be more impactful for the audience to hear from them about the chores they do and hear from them about the ways that they, you know, that you parent them. And I was like, they, the boys were really into it, you know, trip to L.A. And oh, yeah. we had a blast. Yeah. I remember seeing the pictures on Facebook of them getting to tour the lot and stuff like that. I think, that, And that's yeah. great. My kids have been very fortunate that they've gotten exposed to a lot of things because I bring them along or uh, my kids have gotten really involved with the youth leadership program that the National Speakers Association puts on. And so I went one time, this will be my 10th year going to the NSA and national conference. The first time I went, I didn't know anything about it. And there was this youth program and Jackie was like 12. And I said, do you want to go next year? 
And she said, yeah, she was into the idea of that. And she loved it so much, she wanted to go every year. And then she continued on as sort of a counselor or what they call a leader. And then Kate started in the program. And now Kate has about five more years before she'll age out from doing it and then becoming a leader. But this is the first year in nine of 10 years that Jackie won't be with me at the National Speakers Association Conference. I mean, Kate will be, but Jackie's just always been a part of it since I've joined the organization. But through that, they've been able to meet you know, famous people. Uh, Kate wrote a report about Allison Levine, who is a woman who has climbed Everest twice. And it's a friend of mine. Yeah. It's somebody I know yeah. as a speaker. And, you know, Jackie got the chance to meet you and, and, and you know, stuff like that. Kate got to, to be part of the TEDx program that your son put on in Pittsburgh. And so my kids have been exposed to a lot of great opportunities uh, because of my job. And I think that it's really important for us as entrepreneurs to think what we do should feed us and it should, in a quite literal sense, be able to feed our families. But it should also feed our kids' views of what's possible for them, not what we're going to make them do, but help open their minds to what they could possibly do in one of those two to seven careers that they're going to have. Sure. So I've got a couple more questions for you, Debbie. I can't let you go. But first, I, I, have, yeah. to thank, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought Please. to you. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Dr. Debbie Gilboa. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know a lot of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Debbie, I did say before, I wanted to ask you about the fact of taking that brand national. I mean, what was it like the first time? I think, I think the first time you did national TV was right after we met. So, so what has it been like the last three years to, to be able to be on these national media shows? It is honestly the most fun I've ever had at work in my entire life. The, um, it is such an amazing stage for if you can speak in short sentences, which your podcast listeners will think I absolutely cannot do. <laughs> you can have the opportunity to get a few ideas out to actually millions of people in one two to five minute segment. And the way that I really did it is helpfulreporter.com mm. with consistent elbow grease. And that's a resource that I bet you've mentioned to your listeners before. Helpfulreporter.com is a free resource for both journalists and sources. And so your, your listeners are going to be sources. And I want everybody who isn't to go and sign up on helpfulreporter.com. You're going to get these emails one or two or three times a day, depending on what you sign up for. And you just if you have time, you just read through it. And if there's something you'd like to be a source for, you click the reply and you give them a little bit of information that would help them in their story. And you maybe tease them a little bit. You know, these are two ideas, but I have three more. I hope you'll be in touch. I did this starting six years ago and it took about six months of being really consistent, answering probably seven to 10 a week. And then I started to get quoted in something every week. And it might be, you know, the Augusta new weekly news. But it also might be and has been Parents Magazine and Parenting Magazine and American Baby and Consumer Reports and the Wall Street Journal. And I've got all of this. I'm quoted over and over and over in all these different places simply because I'm willing to do the free work of answering this, these requests all the time. 
And so I come up higher and higher and higher in Google searches when producers put in helicopter parenting, parenting experts. Mm. Suddenly I, you know, I might be in the top three and then they're like, oh, well, she's not very far from New York or she's, you know, she's, I see she from her website. She's in LA every once in a while. Maybe we should have her on the show. Then they go to, they go to my website. It's really easy to find my sizzle reel, which is always every year I update it to be the newest, freshest clips of me on TV. And then they see if I can speak coherently, if I am easy to understand, if I'm fun to watch. And because I do have so much fun doing TV, I think that translates and helps producers see that they might also want me to put, put me in front of their audience. Mm, I think that I think that's awesome. I think Haro Help a Reporter Out is a great resource. And, and the truth of the matter is, is I don't use it consistently because I'm busy. I skip it. But every now and then when I think, no, I really should go through and read. I mean, I've been quoted in Forbes and in Inc. And I'm not uh, a person who overthinks it. If it's the Augusta Daily Journal, I'm totally fine with that. Because the other thing I've discovered right. is sometimes those articles, if they're good, get picked up by bigger publications. So I was interviewed for a small publication and it got picked up by five or six different larger uh, larger papers and I think that's the same thing with podcasts every now and then I'll talk to somebody and you know I'm trying to get more high profile people on, on on the show and they'll be like well what's your reach or how many people download your show and it's like yeah you know that's not necessarily always what it's about because I've actually been on some smaller podcasts and the listeners are really dedicated those are the people who start following me and get you know really excited so I, I tend to say yes to any media. Yeah, and I definitely have recognized as an entrepreneur who is trying to balance all that stuff, like I mentioned, right, a great deal of single parenting, parenting for kids, all this stuff, is that you do have to keep in mind that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. That no might just be sleep. It might be exercise. <laughs> it might be chilling on the couch with your kid, right? It's not necessarily no to a different work opportunity, but I do want people to be intentional with their yeses and know what the litmus test is for their for opportunities that are offered to them so they don't die of exposure. <laughs> I think that you're right sense. though. My improv background tells me to say yes and 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 I'm always surprised if I can follow the dominoes backwards when I get a new opportunity. It almost always leads to something that I didn't think was going to be that big a deal. I just said yes because I could. Well, I mean, I have a, I have a perfect example. Recently, I, I had one of the best experiences I've ever had in, gosh, how long have I been speaking? 10 years full time. And uh, it was the third year I was back with this big tech companies event and like 2000 people in the audience. I was the master of ceremonies a couple of years ago. I did like the, the third day keynote this year. I did the closing keynote. Uh, and it was one of those things that everything just sort of gelled. It was a great experience. And because I'm emceeing, it's a premium priced event for me. So, you know, I've done it for three out of the last four years and I've spun off a ton of business from being involved with this event. And I started thinking, how did I get here? And I know who recommended me to that event but then I thought, I'd never really thought about it. Where did I meet that guy? And all of a sudden, I remembered I did a favor that didn't meet my happy price, but I did a favor for somebody, God, six years ago, seven years ago, and I went to Chicago to do a keynote for like $1.95 and a chicken dinner. And right. there was a guy in the audience who, who was very involved in the meetings business, and he took a liking to me, and he sort of mentored me a little bit on things I could do to get more engaged in the meetings business. And then he referred me to this one event that has probably been the single biggest, you know, one single client I've ever had in my career. And I was like, whoa. And so it is true. You can't say yes to everything, but you can't say no to everything also. It's absolutely true. So, and I, I also think it's really important to remember when you're building something like your business or mine, where you are the product, 
is that all of those other things that I'm balancing can completely tip the whole train over. Uh, <laughs> when I lost my mom about three years ago, I'm an only child. She lived 500 miles away from me. And so I lost really about two or three months worth of paying attention to my business. And, and when I came back to it, it was going fine for a while because my gigs like yours, I bet tend to schedule six to nine months out. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, six or nine months out, I hit this lull where I didn't have money coming in and I couldn't figure out what the problem was for a little while. And then I, of course, realized I wasn't doing new lead generation. I wasn't keeping the fires burning and feeding the work while I was dealing with losing my mom. And that totally made sense, but that isn't tenable because other people count on my business, not only just my family, but even so, I don't want to lose my business if there's some other huge pressure in my life. So I've spent a lot of the last two years trying to figure out how to scale what I do and create passive revenue streams. And I've had some real misses, uh, but doing more consulting work, more what my, what I my manager and I call bunny slipper work, meaning you might have to look fancy from the waist up, but you can be wearing your bunny slippers under the desk because you're at home. Uh, or <laughs> yeah, the, this age of, this age of Skype, you can, you can oftentimes just run a quick brush through your hair, put on a collared shirt and it looks like you've been in the office all day. And, and he's speaking to men when he says that, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> when, and when I started creating these digital resources for parents, I found two things. One, uh, they could buy them while I sleep, right? So passive revenue means that these things are available to people and I don't need to be available to people at that moment. But the other thing that I really found is that parents were thanking me because I was finally meeting my customers where they were, which was, Googling an answer to a question at one o'clock in the morning mm. and offering ways to get my content where everything was curated and bundled and dropped like one season of Netflix and you can binge watch it when you need it. And it addresses pain points and concerns and worries and helps people feel more effective in their parenting or in their educating of young people. So creating passive revenue started and sounds very much like me just trying to capitalize or exploit my reputation and has really forced me to think, how can I best serve my audience? And it's building loyalty among my audience that I'm doing that. That's awesome. So as, as we sort of wrap this up, you know, I call the, the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your business now? So actually, I think the coolest thing I'm doing right now is creating what I'm calling digital bundles. Uh, let me give you an example that I think will make sense because you've gone through this once, maybe twice already. When you have a new teen driver in your home, that creates a lot of questions and a fair amount of angst for parents and for teens. So an example of a digital bundle that I've created is I have available online one group that, like I said, drops like a season of Netflix if you purchase it, that is two videos, one MP3 file, and five different articles with printable papers that come along with it. If you're a printable, print it out and look at it, fill it out kind of person that is everything you need to know about putting your child behind the wheel of a car, except the mechanics of teaching them to drive. Hmm. So it's three conversations you should have with your teen driver before you set them out without you. It's a contract for when and how and whom they may drive and where and all that. And what the next, set of uh, privileges will be that they're trying to earn and how they can earn them. Mm. It's also a list of emergency supplies your kiddo should have with them in the car. It's a list of five car maintenance things your child should know how to do before they drive away and YouTube links 
so you can learn how to do them and teach them mm. the, or, or, ha, or watch with your child. So it's all of these resources. There's also an MP3 interview with a police officer that was me interviewing this city police officer about what he wants my kid to know when they get pulled over. Oh, that's awesome. So, right, that you can listen to, I hope, with your teenager. And they can hear this police officer say, stay in your car. Put your hands on the wheel. I'll come to you. Hey, don't pull over until you feel like you're in a safe place. But while I'm following you, just put your slow down and put your four-way flashers on until you get to a place that you feel safe pulling off. So all of those things so that you both get all those resources and don't have to worry that you're missing something. Missing something. I've got you covered. If you go through all of these things, your kid will be as prepared for this important step as they can be. So if people want to find out, and I'm sure you have those bundles on other subjects and a lot more coming down the pipe. If somebody wants to find out about that, where do they go? How do they get information about all this? Uh, just go to my website, askdrg.com. But I would really encourage people to think about what is it that you're really an expert in and how can you make it as easy as possible for your audience to get all the content they need on a particular subject. I think that's awesome. So everybody should run over to Ask Dr. G. That's A-S-K-D-O-C-T-O-R-G.com. Hey, Debbie, thank you so much for being on the show both this time but also last time. And I really appreciate the friendship that we built the last three years. It's made me feel a lot safer being a thousand miles away from Pittsburgh, knowing that I have a friend there if my daughter ever needed anything. And thank you for the friendship that you provided to Jackie when she first moved to town. I appreciate that. It's such a privilege, Tom. Thank you very much for your time and also for your podcast, which I am a loyal listener of. Well, awesome. Hey, thank you to everybody who listened because I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. I'm going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Debbie. But in the meantime, do me a favor. If you've never jumped over to iTunes and left a review of the show, hit the subscribe button and leave a review and tell me why you like the show, everybody. Uh, it just makes my day better when we get new reviews, and we're almost to 200 reviews. I think we're sitting at like 186, and it just bums me out that we can't get to 200. So let, let's go get to 200. Uh, and you can find out all the information about me at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. And uh, until the next time, I challenge you, go out there. And have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.